We'll go ahead and take a seat. If you feel inclined, say hi to someone. Introverts, you get a pass. You don't have to. But if you're feeling a little excited today, go ahead and tell someone hi and take a seat. It's good to be with you guys here today and on this weekend. Hopefully you've had a great weekend already and you have some plans today, maybe to barbecue or hang out with the family, maybe some plans tomorrow if you're off from a more day weekend. Um, listen, I've preached, I think here, I, I want to say when I counted on a Sunday, maybe I'm around 10 or 11 times. And I think like a quarter of those times, maybe even more, I've opened up with an illustration about movies. And so I was thinking about this sermon. I was like, I can't do it again. Uh, they know I love movies, but I'm not going to go there. And as I thought about it and I, and I prayed, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. So I love movies, and you guys know that about me because um, I've talked about it many, many times. And one of my favorite kinds of movies, I love action movies, Marvel, Star Wars, all that stuff, but like, uh, uh, there's a little niche of the- thematic movies or styles of movies that have to do with time travel. And I nerd out about time travel. I don't know what it is, but I think they're just so, they're such fun movies when they incorporate this idea of traveling through the timeline. Avengers have done it, and so that was exciting when like two loves of my life came together and did it, and they had like a time heist. I just think it's so fun to see when the plot has these twists and turns of trying to figure out how to impact the future, not impact the future, all those good things. My first experience and exposure, though, of a movie like this was not a movie made in my time, as I am a youngin. But it was before my time. And it was a movie called Back to the Future. Anyone know the movie in the room here? Phantom Marty McFly and Doc Brown. These guys running around, ruining everything, trying to fix everything time and time again. I love this movie. The trilogy is fun. The first two, I think, are exceptional. The third one is, let's be honest, eh. It's just, it's okay. You should watch it, but it's a little disappointing. I love these movies, though. And I love watching how they always unravel. And they kind of all follow the same pattern, right? There's some reason that they want to do some type of time travel, whether it's they find out about the future or they're in the present and they don't like the present, so they want to go back to change the past, to change the future. Whatever it is, they always find themselves in a situation where they do something that's bad or they mess everything up and they have to go back in time or go forward in time to fix it. And in Back to the Future, Marty McFly is taken back in time and he runs into his parents. And because of that, he starts to actually affect his future. He has a little picture of him and his siblings. And as they're going through the movie and they're trying to solve everything, get back to the future, he's with witnessing his future disappear. His siblings are going away. And so he panics and the whole plot is they got to fix what they've ruined and then they got to find a way to get back to where they came from. And every time travel movie kind of follows that plot, that when they know the future, it changes how they would live their lives. It impacts what they're doing in the present. When they're given a snapshot of what's to come, it informs how they're living. And I bring that up today because we're kicking off a series called Kingdom Come. We're going to be spending eight weeks in Matthew 24 and 25 all talking about the return of Jesus. Or you could say the end of the world, but that didn't sound too fun, so we stuck with the return of Jesus. We're going to be talking for eight weeks about what this means and looks like in Matthew 24 and 25 and how it relates to our life today. So let me read the passage for us. We are in Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. Yes, three verses. That's all we're going to be reading today and talking about. I got three verses and three main points for us today. So let's read it. If you don't have your Bibles with you or a phone that has a Bible app, everything I read from the Bible will be on the screens. All the points will be on the screens. Your notes have them. The JCI app has them. We have you covered. But let's dive in. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, do not, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. 
As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So what I want to do is I know that this topic is not incredibly fun to talk about. In fact, I think when we talk about the end times, the world ending with the return of Jesus, it gets a little uncomfortable. We get a little intimidated. It's a little scary if we're honest with ourselves. Like we don't necessarily want to talk about these things. And if we're totally honest, it gets a little weird. And so a lot of times we just avoid this altogether because it's not the funnest thing to talk about in all of Christianity. But I believe there's value in understanding the things that Jesus is going to be teaching and seeing how they impact our lives. In fact, I want to give you a big idea for the sermon today that's going to be unpacked throughout our time together. The big idea is this. The kingdom coming, the return of Jesus, should change how we view and live our lives. The kingdom coming or the return of Jesus, rightly understood, should change how we view and live our lives. So what I want to do today with my sermon is try to introduce this idea and this concept and topic, which we'll be talking about for next two months almost, just so we can get an idea of what's the value here for us today and why should we even care to talk about this very thing. So I believe there's three things that the kingdom coming helps us do. And the first one is this. It helps us maintain the right perspective. The kingdom coming helps us maintain the right perspective. We see in verse 1, the disciples and Jesus exit out of the temple, and surrounding them are these magnificent buildings. And so they draw Jesus' attention to the buildings and just let him kind of admire them. Like, they're admiring them. They're infatuated with these things. They're like, man, look at this, Jesus. And Jesus quickly, uh, he kind of kills the moment. He just immediately kind of sobers it up and says, just so you know, they're awesome. They're going to be rubble one day. It's like, okay, well, thanks for that, Jesus. And we know that the disciples are infatuated by these buildings because in Mark 13, 1, it kind of expands on it. It says here that they, they leave the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. Now, keep in mind, these are not bad buildings. In fact, the temple was a place, a, a theme, or a, a really an icon of Christianity throughout the Old Testament of God's dwelling place and where he would commune with his people. It would be the worst thing in the world to imagine this thing being destroyed. And so they're trying to really praise it in a, a genuine way. And Jesus says, yeah, well, just keep in mind what the future holds for it. Why does he do that? Why does Jesus try to kill the moment with these disciples? And I believe it's as usual. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a lesson. I think he's trying to help them see beyond what is simply right in front of them. He's trying to help them maintain an eternal perspective. I think if we're honest here today, being in America specifically, man, there's a lot of things to draw our attention away from the spiritual things of the world. Man, we got stuff to do. We got things. We got jobs and kids, maybe boyfriends and girlfriends, or we want those things. We got vacations coming up, incomes. We have houses. Whatever it is, it's easy to be drawn away from the spiritual and distracted, even infatuated by the physical world that we live in. And I think Jesus is trying to help us understand there's more than what you just see. How many of you in the room today, I see some of you in here, but you either have contacts or you got a pair of these bad boys right here. You need to wear these to live. Hold them up high. Be proud of that. Let me see. Okay. There's more, um, more bad eyesight in the last service, but it's okay. We got plenty here. So when I was in middle school, I uh, found out so somehow, I don't even know how I discovered this, but you just realize you can't see well. And so eventually I went to the eye doctor and I got my, a pair of Glasses weren't these glasses, but they're glasses nonetheless. And I remember when I first got my lenses, I could not help but walk outside. And anywhere I went for like the first week of my life, I would have them on 
And right now, since I have contacts on, it's like supervision right now. I see everyone in the room. Um, I would just walk around and I would literally just do this. Like just constantly, wherever I was, I would just be like, it's, it's like, this is amazing. I can now see clearly. I, I was missing so much detail. I can see all the leaves in that tree. I can see that dude's face over there. I could read that sign. Like you're just astounded by all the things you couldn't see without these glasses. And some of you in the room, you might be near side, might be far side, but you need corrective lenses. And what you may not know is that there's actually something such as being spiritually nearsighted. In fact, Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, he would write a couple letters to the church back in the day. And in 2 Peter, he was encouraging Christians to live lives growing in their faith. He would tell them, because of what God has done for you, man, make every effort to add or supplement to your faith by adding to it virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection, all these great traits. And then you get here in 2 Peter 1, verse 8, he would say this, For if you possess these qualities, the things I just mentioned, in increasing measure, if you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, whoever is not growing in these things, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So Peter is teaching us that the way that we walk out our relationship with Jesus and grow in our faith or don't grow in our faith represents our spiritual sight and how much we realize what God has done for us in our life. Remembering the gospel and knowing what is actually real and not real. It's like he, along with Jesus, is saying, don't miss this. Don't just think that what's around you five feet in front of you is all there is. There is more to life than just this life. Jesus is coming back. Don't forget what he started on the cross. He's going to finish it one day. Don't miss it. And I'll just be honest. I'm not always the guy that we have a tradition in church to say, come Lord Jesus. Like we want him to come back because when that happens, he's going to fix everything, right? So in church history, there's people always saying, come now, Lord Jesus. Like finish this thing up. We're over this. We're tired of it. And oftentimes in my life, that looks more like this. Jesus, come in a second or soon-ish, or wait till I'm pretty much old and done with my life, because I got stuff I want to do. Let's just be honest. I was at my daughter's kindergarten celebration last week. She was singing a silly song about the future looking good for her, and she's ready to go, and I'm sitting there fine back tears listening to these kids sing a terrible song, and I'm thinking, when did kindergarten start? Why are you 40 years old now? I got things I want to see. I want to see her grow up. I want to see her get married and walk her down the aisle. I want to see her have kids and struggle with those kids like her father did. I want to witness those things. And if Jesus were to come back right now, I wouldn't be able to experience that. And so I'm sad. And so I'm hesitant to even want to think about that because, man, there's a lot of things I want to do with my life. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Life is supposed to be exciting and joyful. God created a good world that was broken by sin. And these are still good gifts for us to experience. But I have to remember, as do you, that whatever I could experience in this life does not compare to the one to come. And when Jesus would come back, I'm going to have infinitely more joy in what he has for me than anything I can experience in my 80 or so years here on earth. We have to remember that in heaven, we're not going to be talking about our kids, or what we do with our careers or our retirement funds or the houses we lived in or the neighborhoods that we lived in or the places we got to see. We're not going to be talking about you and me much at all because this life and the life to come is all about Jesus. And here's why it's important that we have the right perspective today. Because the way we view our life informs how we spend our life. 
how you and I today view and think of our life will directly inform how we spend every single minute and day that we are given. So we get to have the right perspective. We have to think clearly about the life we've been given. And we live in a world that's spending billions of dollars trying to get you and I to buy into the life. The best thing that we can do is look out for you and me, to look out for self, to invest in this life alone. It's self-centered advertisement. Everywhere you look, anything you hear and see on the internet, on TV, it's all about getting more of it for yourself. It's all about self-satisfaction. And listen, if this life was all there was, they would be totally right. I'll be telling you today, stop listening to me and go live it up. Do what's most pleasurable to you, what makes you most happy. You get one life and nothing else after that, man, make the most of it. But as Christians, we know that's not true. And we know that one day, everything that we see will pass away. The famous Christian theologian and actor, Jim Carrey, in 2017, he had a, a really great quote. I don't know where he is spiritually. The Lord save him if he's not saved. I mean, he's, he's been saying some things for a few years now. We're like, I don't know where this guy is really landing, but he's kind of getting it. And recently he's like talking about Jesus. And so if that's happening, praise the Lord. But back in 2017, he's more in like a spirituality kind of world. But listen to this quote that he had that I thought was so powerful. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Wow. A man like Jim Carrey, who's been around the block, who's made ma incredible movies and famous movies, is a hilarious guy, I'm sure has made tons of money and has experiences that I will never have at all, is sitting there thinking, man, I wish everyone can just live the life they think they want to live, get as rich as they want, go wherever they want, do everything they want, just so that they can see it doesn't deliver. Because it never was intended to. I don't know if Jim Carrey realizes this or not, but the physical world is never meant to satisfy the eternal longings of our soul. And the reality is we should not invest the 80 years that we get on earth, into earth, but into the 80,000 plus that we'll have in eternity. Here's a point for us today. There is nothing that you and I can build that will last for eternity outside of following Jesus. There's nothing of eternal significance or value of anything outside of what he is trying to do in and through you and me. All your efforts and everything you're trying to do in this life, they're great and dandy and they're fantastic, but one day they're going to pass and you can't take it with you. You'll leave it behind for someone else. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about this, how vain life is. It's a sobering book. So let me ask you some questions. What is your attention fixed on only what's around and before you, are you viewing your life with an internal perspective? You might be wondering, how do I know if I am or not? Well, what do you think about most of the time? Is your attention only fixed on the right now and right here? Does your heart ever break for it breaks God's heart, the spiritual lostness and brokenness of the world, of our city, of the people in your life? Do you ever think of those things? Are your usual pursuits in your days, in your life, your goals, are they worldly or are they heavenly? What are the things that come to your mind when you think of your life? Man, what are you doing today that actually has eternal significance, if anything? The kingdom coming helps us maintain the right perspective. And then secondly, that leads right into our second point. It helps us remain faithful. 
gives us the right perspective, which then should help us to remain faithful. I was just messaging verse 2. The disciples are trying to show Jesus these buildings and are trying to admiring these buildings. And Jesus takes a right turn and lets them know one day that one stone is going to be left on another. This thing is going to come crashing down. It will be destroyed. He's showing that he has the power to tell the future. Which is interesting because I know myself personally, I have thought and I have said similar things like this. I know other people in my life have as well when they've gone through things. That we think that if we had the ability to see into the future even a little bit, the twists and turns that would come up into our life, it would help us manage them a little bit better, right? It would ease the impact a little bit. When a tragedy strikes or something goes wrong, we often say a phrase, man, I just didn't see this coming. I just, it just came out of the blue, just out of left field. I had no idea this was going to happen. As if we have any ability to actually know what is going to be happening in the future. It's funny that we think that way. And most time of life, it's the reality is going to be, it's going to be unexpected twists and turns. You probably have experienced that already. You're going to make plans. You're going to try to keep those plans. And then life is going to laugh at you and throw you a curveball. And you have to adapt. That's just a reality of life. Even though we wish we could know what was coming up, immediately in our life, we don't. But even though we don't, we know who does. And listen to what God says in Isaiah 46. He says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God is one of one here. No one else can see the future like he does. No one can declare the end from the beginning. Let's take some comfort in this today that there is not a single thing that God does not see coming. He is never surprised. He's never taken off guard. He is never worried. His plan is never foiled. His purposes always come to pass, guaranteed. And you and I can rest in that today. You say, okay, that's fantastic. How has that helped me remain faithful today? Well, remember, time travel movie. When we know the future, when we have a snapshot of that, it should inform and help us live today. And what we're going to find here in Matthew 24 and 25, that Jesus is going to give us some lessons and warnings of what it's going to look like when the end comes. And he's not going to tell us to just have us sit on our hands and take a nap. He's going to tell us because he wants us to be busy he wants us to actually be doing something in this moment right now. Here's the point. We should be faithful with the right now, knowing what will happen in the soon to come. It's kind of like as we learn more about God and the scriptures and we realize what's coming up, we're held more accountable for what we know. So we don't get to just learn these things and hear these things and plug our ears and go about our business. No, we're now, we have to do something with what we know. And Jesus wants to give us this information, not that we can just know it for our own sake, but to actually let it inform our lives and how we live. But again, life is difficult. The spiritual things that we talk about, man, we don't see them. We don't feel them. We live in a physical world. We got stuff. We have problems. It's hard to daily think of heavenly things if we're just being honest. I know it is for me with kids and jobs, with bills coming in, with plans and futures and just stuff that has to get taken care of that's pressing right now, it's hard for me to always be so heavenly minded. I got a best friend back home in Vegas. He's a pastor like me. We're the same age. We're in the same season of life. He's got a couple young kids. I got a couple young kids. And we talk every single day. And uh, we formally call each other Bubba. If you don't have a Bubba in your life, pray for one. Changes the game. Love you, Bub. And me and him are just often we'll talk about life and sometimes things will get difficult. We'll be frustrated. We'll be discouraged. We'll go through a trial, whatever, and we'll just need to talk to one another in this way and comfort one another. And it always comes back to the same question for us. 
Whether it's me or him or both of us in a, a tough situation or season of life, this is the question we always land on. Man, do we believe the Bible or not? Do we believe what it says or do we not? Because the things that we feel, we experience, and we wrestle with, that we worry about and think about, it's not like the Bible's silent on these things. It's just a matter of if we're going to believe his word over what we can see right now. And that's really where faith, where the rubber meets the road. Where despite your circumstance and situation, we walk not by sight, but by faith. And we hear and know the things he tells us that we know and that he's promised us and we apply it to our life. And no matter how we feel, we say, I'm going to believe it no matter what. We always come back to that. And that can be hard, but today I want to give you 12 things that we know for a fact according to the Bible. Just things that you and I can cherish in our hearts. First one is this. We know that God is for us. There's no reason there's 12 of these. I just jotted down 12 of them when I wrote this sermon. So Merry Christmas. But we know that God is for us. No matter what is happening in our life, whoever is against you, whatever powers are pushing back on you, you have the God of the universe on your side working for you. We know he cares about us. So because of that, he wants you to take all your worries, all your anxieties, all your fears, and throw them on him. Not keep them for yourself, but give them to him because he cares about you and I. We know he's forgiven us in Jesus. Man, I'm no matter what you do today, you can go to him and you can confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. We know he's going to provide for us. As we seek first the kingdom, he says, I'm going to add all these things to you. Look at the birds and the grass. I take care of them. You think I'm going to take care of my kids? Yes, he absolutely is. We know that he has a purpose for our suffering. No matter what you go through today or have gone through in your life or will go through in the future, it's not meaningless or worthless. There is purpose in it and he is using it for your good. Good. We know that he works everything together for our good. So whatever you're trying to decide between right now with your life, making a big decision or trying to do the best you can, you have a safety net of sovereignty beneath your feet. And God can take whatever you do and he can work it together for your good and for his purposes. We know he's given us his spirit, man, a spirit to comfort us and give us peace, to help us live this life he's called us to and lead us in the way we should go. We know he's with us and will never leave us. So no matter if you're lonely today, no matter how lonely you feel, you are never alone because he will never forsake or leave you. We know that he hears us when we're praying to him and crying out to him day after day. And we don't feel like anyone's there. He tells us, I'm hearing you. And if I've heard you, you have the requests that you've asked of me. We know he understands our weaknesses and he can give us grace when we need it. Because Jesus was a man like you and me, but fully God. He experienced pain and fear and temptation. So whatever you and I are going through, whatever it is, any form of, of shame or pain or temptation, Jesus can empathize with it and he can send well-timed grace when you need it. We know that after this life, no matter what happens, we're going to live with him forever. And best of all, we know that in the end, he wins. That's not what the question, that's not a maybe or an if. These are guaranteed things. And listen, there's hundreds of them in the Bible. I gave you 12, hundreds more in the Bible. If you would read it, you would see them and you would rejoice in that. But the problem isn't that we don't have these promises. The problem is we have ample reason to trust God with every part of our lives, and yet we don't. So the question I ask is, why is that? And I think it goes back to a faulty way of thinking that's been bred into our American cultural Christianity that we live in. I saw it pretty clearly about a year ago or so when I was watching a, a video on YouTube and all of a sudden a Christian ad popped up. Usually on those ads, you can, you know, click away after like five seconds, but this was a Christian one. So he started like speaking Christianese to me. And I was like, what's going on here? So I started listening to this ad 
And it was about some opportunity to make money or whatever, go figure. And I don't know the motive of this guy. I don't remember what he was selling, but I just remember hearing his reasoning of how he's setting up this situation. And it was infuriating to me because he was talking to this person as if you're viewing this video as a discontented person, that you were in this nine to five job that wasn't fulfilling to you. You didn't believe it was God's best for you. It wasn't God's will for your life. And so he's trying to give you an out. And I just thought, man, that is so anti-kingdom. That is not the way that we should be thinking of our life, but that is the reason why you and I struggle to remain faithful and obedient because of this right here. We are taught to aim for fulfillment rather than obedience. I'm not saying Journey teaches this, that, but there's a lot of churches and a lot of Christianity that we hear and see today that want you to believe it's all about what you get out of it rather than fulfilling what God is calling you to. The problem is, the promises that we just read, the 12 alone, they're not given to us for our fulfillment. They're given to us to fuel faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. Look what Peter says. We're going back to 2 Peter 1. Look what he says in verses 3 through 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, to live this thing called being a Christian, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Verse 4, through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises. Why do you do that? So that through them, you and I may participate in the divine nature. The reason God gave me and you these very great and precious promises were to help us walk this life out. That is its purpose. That's what he's called us to. And unfortunately, we like comfort. Listen, I like comfort. I don't like being uncomfortable. I don't like doing hard things. I don't like sacrificing my time or resources. I don't like being inconvenienced. I like being comfortable. And when life gets a little uncomfortable for us, or a little than less than ideal, we surmise it can't be God's will for us, and so we need to make adjustments accordingly. Because there's some reason we believe if I'm following God, nothing bad will ever happen to me. Which you can believe that, just don't read the Bible. Because we got way too many faithful people that have lived and followed Jesus and God and this mission, and they did not go necessarily well for them. And yet they would never regret or change anything they did. Remember, how we view our life informs how we spend it. C.S. Lewis does a great job at showing this, how this works. When he says this in his book, The Joyful Christian, he says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Then look at this line. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. C.S. Lewis is just saying the reality is that the men and women who did the most for this world were those who thought most of heaven, the return of Jesus and what's to come. And when we stop thinking of those things, we start thinking of life differently, and then all of a sudden we become, as Peter said, ineffective. And it's not that the Christian life isn't fulfilling. This is the reality. It is. It's the best life you can live. I absolutely believe that, even though it requires self-denial and sacrifice. And it's not about your will, but it's about God's will. But it's a byproduct. It's not what we aim for. We aim for faithful obedience. And we let, leave the rest to him. Because that's what he has called us to. You're not going to miss out aiming for heaven. But you'll miss out aiming for earth. So you're wondering, okay. How do I then live faithful lives right now? What does that look like for me? 
I believe it's a mindset shift that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 7. He says this, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Think about that one more time. Each person should live as a believer, just being a Christian, in whatever situation or circumstance the Lord has assigned to them. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought of your current life circumstance, context, situation, the things about your life, where you're living right now, the neighbors you wish would move away, the neighborhood you wish you could move out of, the school you wish you could move your kids out of, the job you wish you could get out of? Have you ever thought of all of those things as an assignment from God? Have you ever thought that he has put you there for a reason? Think about it. What would it be like today if all of us saw every part of our life situation as a kingdom opportunity rather than a problem? What if we had that mindset today to look around our life and the relationships that we have and not see them as things just overlook or ignore or just to get through, but that there is actually a reason God had placed us there? Here's the point. God has placed you where you are right now for a purpose. Don't miss it. Don't miss why he's put you where, you, where he has you. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. There's people that you could reach with the gospel that I would never have a shot at, which is the glory of the church, that we as all individual lights would get into the deepest parts of our world and give hope to those who need it. Not just huddle up together and be one bright light, but that we would disperse out into the world. That's how it's designed to work. And it doesn't mean that you never can leave. It doesn't mean you can't move out of your house or get a new job. You can do those things. It's much more about the motivation and the why. What are the reasoning that's going into it? And listen, following the Lord is going to lead you to do some crazy weird things. When me and my wife in 2020 felt like God was going to move us out of our city and we we're going to end up somewhere in the West and start something or be a part of something, the last thing we thought that was we'd go East to Kansas City, Missouri. No way, nothing against Kansas City, Missouri. It just was on our map. It wasn't a place that we thought we'd go there and then come back and plant a church in Las Vegas. That was not in our realm of possibilities. But God's got a funny way of doing things. And for you today, you may not be someone that you're not using your circumstance and context well. You may be someone that God is calling to a next step and you have not yet been faithful to take it. And you may end up somewhere unexpected like us in a place like Las Vegas. We're still taking applications. But you just never know what he's going to do and you never know what he wants to do right now in your life with where he has you. Are you living faithfully? with where he has you? How are you making decisions today based on what's best for you and what's best for the kingdom? What does it look like for you right now to live as a believer in the situation God has assigned you? The kingdom coming should help us have the right perspective, which then leads us to living and remaining faithful to the right now. And thirdly, it helps us have hope for the future. Our passage ends today with the disciples coming to Jesus. And remember, the temple crumbling and falling apart would not be good news to them. It would be the most tragic thing that could possibly happen to the people of God. Symbolically, it'd just be an absolute disaster. So they're probably coming up to Jesus and they're sitting at the Mount Olives and they're saying, all right, you need to give us some context here because what you just said to us has us shook. What is this going to look like? 
How do we know what's going to happen? What's going to look like when you return? I need you to give me some answers. And they know that he can. And what comes out of that one question, them sitting down with Jesus, is two chapters of him answering that question, which is the longest answer in all the New Testament to a single question. And I believe he's not just trying to help them live faithful lives and have the right perspective, but I believe he's trying to give them hope to know that no matter what it's going to look like in the future, no matter how dark it's going to be, we're going to be all right. I think this is best demonstrated in the recent passing of Dr. Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a a great servant of God who recently, the past couple of weeks, passed away. He was a pastor in New York, planted a church there, and was a faithful Bible teacher. That thing grew massively, started planting churches all over the country and world. He was an author defending the faith of Christianity and helping people just follow Jesus better with more resources. Just a brilliant, humble mind for Christianity. Impacted millions of people. And a few years ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so he's been battling that for the past few years. And a couple weeks ago, his family announced that he was going to be transferred to hospice care. That was looking like it was going to be the end for Tim. And they shared that he was been praying with his family in that moment they found out. And he was thanking God for everyone who's been in his life, everyone who's been praying for him, the life that he was given. But he kept saying, I just can't wait to see Jesus. I just can't wait to see Jesus take me home. A couple days later, his son on his behalf would post on May 19th, Timothy J. Keller, husband, father, grandfather, mentor, friend, pastor, and scholar, died this morning at home. Dad waited until he was alone with mom. She kissed him on the head, on the forehead, and he breathed his last breath. We take comfort in some of his last words. There's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. As I read that quote the day that he passed and I was journaling, I just had this thought that I think Christianity may not be any more compelling and beautiful than the face and presence of death. And you can't say that about many things, but you can say that about Christianity. You say, how can you say that? Because look what Tim said about the resurrection of Jesus. He said that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. Then ultimately, God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Earlier, he would just summarize that statement by saying, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, everything is going to be all right. So he can lay there with imminent death facing him. And he can know that as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And the life that he lived serving Jesus, he is now in the presence of Jesus having a pretty good day. And death to him was not the end, but it was a doorway into everlasting life. That's why Christianity is so beautiful and compelling in the face of death, because the end of all things, as we know it, is not the end. And the sting is removed. And instead, we have joy forevermore. And Tim knew that. And he embraced that moment. And I pray I have that kind of faith at the end of my life. When I've ran this race, I pray I'm ready to go. Whatever that might be. Whether I not have that moment or maybe he'll return before that, I pray I'm I'm ready. I'm watching and I'm ready 
take me home. The reality, though, about the gospel is that it's only really good news for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. And the same way that Tim knows that to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord, he also knew Hebrews 9 says that after there's a day appointed for all of us to die and then comes judgment. That those who have not yet placed their faith in Jesus, the hope of Jesus is available to them, but it's not yet theirs. Instead, right now, you stand at odds with the God of the universe. We know from the Bible that the world was created good, but sin broke the world. And one day, what God has started on the cross, he's going to finish by coming back and judging everything, which is good news, because that means he's going to put everything right. The issue is what's wrong with the world, we're a part of. It's wrong in us. And apart from Jesus, we have no hope to stand before him. We could do nothing to earn our salvation or be good enough for him to accept us. But luckily, he made a way where there was no way. And he gave us the good news of the gospel to believe in. Tim Keller would summarize it this way. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If you're a Christian today, that's true of you. If you're not, that can be true of you today. We're utterly broken and sinful. We bring nothing to the table but a problem. But because of God's great love, he made a way for us to be with him for eternity. In just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond to these things. We're gonna transition to a time of reflection as we always do at the end of our services. We're gonna have a few questions roll on the screen just for a minute at a time. We want them to just serve as a moment for you to process what's been shared today, what God is speaking to you in this moment, what you've heard. The kingdom coming should give us the right perspective. Help us live seeing life rightly, which informs how we use our life. It should help us remain faithful to live as a believer, as a Christian right here, right now, and be faithful with whatever he calls us to do. And should give us hope that no matter what the future holds, we know who holds the future and it's a bright one for us. What has God spoken to you today? I'm gonna pray for us. We'll have a time of reflection and I'll come back and close this out. Lord, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for the hope of Jesus. Thank you for men like Tim Keller who were not perfect, but who were humble, who knew their great need for you and who lived their life telling the world about it. Lord, in this moment, I pray that you help us to ask and answer these questions with honesty. That you would be with us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.